1: Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Linguin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you receive when you then share that love with others. I like to begin our program as we do each week with a story that is based on faith and formed with an imagination kind of platform from which to, to build our discussion Jesus was pleased to be back with his disciples. John said, Master, we have raised many questions we've not been able to answer while you were away. We even discussed them in the temple, but we were not satisfied with any of the answers given to us. Jesus sat down and said, tell me what they are now. John asked, Master, what is truly important in life? Jesus thought for a moment and answered, "'My friends, look around you. "'What do you see?' Peter answered, "'I see olive trees, wheat,' John said, "'and a well where the women draw water.' "'What else do you see?' Jesus asked again. "'Peter replied, "'I see a rock, I see dirt, "'I see a few struggling flowers. "'That's all I see.' "'Oh, no, there's more,' Judas asked, added quickly.' There is the sky and the clouds. Jesus remained silent for a few moments before he said, My friends, do you not see the hand of God in all of creation? When you examine life, you will find his gifts. If you remember this, you will respect all of life and you will know that when one dies, one is not forgotten perhaps by family and friends, but not by the creator of life. The Father has given us many gifts which man takes for granted, or perhaps ignores the sky, the sun, the rain, the moon, and the stars, the earth and the seas which bring forth life. These are all gifts. The Father also gives talent to each of us. We must care for that talon like a seed so that it will develop and bear fruit which we can share with others these gifts of the father are necessary for life then jesus bent down picked up from the ground a kernel of wheat which had blown there from the fields and said this seed of life is very tiny but if it is planted in fertile soil It will grow and multiply if it is planted in barren ground it will struggle but still try to grow i tell you this what is important in life is to pass on truth wisdom knowledge respect caring so that they may bear fruit in others and when you return home you will be able to tell what you did with your gifts And not have to hide your face in shame. A story of faith and imagination. Our guest this evening writes in the first chapter of his latest book titled A Chronicle of Grief Finding Life After Traumatic Loss. Traumatic loss is a technical term. Roughly speaking, it means experiencing something that is unexpected, jarring, and devastating which causes injury with long-term effects. Soldiers experience trauma. If our house burns to the ground, we might experience trauma. Someone who is mugged or raped or kidnapped certainly has gone through trauma. People react differently to traumatic events. When in an ordinary day we have breakfast with a family member and that evening their body is at the morgue, we've gone through trauma. Our lives are fundamentally changed when we go through trauma, and some people would say they have never recovered. But it is possible to survive, to go on living. The word itself, survive, means to continue to live or exist, especially in spite of hardship or danger. This book could be difficult reading. In the months that followed our daughter's death, I knew I had to be brutally honest. That to receive full comfort, I had to gaze straight ahead at the pain. I had a strong desire to find the solid ground of faith in God beneath my feet. But I knew that voicing mindless spiritual cliches would be like blowing bubbles. Platitudes fall flat. There are things we can do to survive and more. We need to find those ways. The author of those words and our guest this evening is Mel Lawrence. He trains an international network of Christian leaders, ministry pioneers, and thought leaders through the Brook Network. He served as senior pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin for ten years. He now serves at Embrook's Minister at Large, teaching in North America, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And he holds a PhD in the history of christian thought from marquette university his books include leadership today and life after death mel lawrence welcome to amplify here we go i have to push the right button mel okay
0: (laughs) Am I, am I with you now? Yes,
1: you are. Sorry about that.
0: It's okay. I'm glad to be with you and and your audience this evening.
1: Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what is a thought leader that you train, how and, and for what do you train such people?
0: Well, I've been in uh, local church ministry for 40 years, and um, in the last uh, 15 years or so, I've gotten more into training other leaders, and uh, in particular, international leaders. Um, We uh, interact with people across the different continents that you mentioned, and um, a lot of it is with very intensive peer learning. It's uh, 15 or 20 people at a time together for a few weeks to learn from each other and uh, to pass on to each other the, the wisdom that we've picked up over the years.
1: And um, let's, let's get right into um, the topic then this evening, A Chronicle of Grief-Finding Loss After Traumatic Loss. You've dedicated this book to those who have suffered devastating loss and are hoping to survive and something more. And there's a great deal of traumatic loss today, what with COVID uh, and, and other things that are happening in our lives.
0: Yes, there is. I mean, just this morning, I talked with three different people who reported um some kind of devastating loss. a gentleman who lost his wife a year ago very suddenly, she just collapsed from a brain aneurysm, somebody else whose good friend had a uh, a, a kid who died by suicide and then a third person so I'll, you know i've I've been a pastor long enough but i've 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 seen um, tragic loss. I've officiated at many, many funerals, but now I'm more aware than ever since the death of our daughter of uh, three and a half years ago of how this is this is part of life, and we, we need to be there for each other.
1: And um, Eva Helen Lawrence uh, was 30 years old. Beautiful picture of her in the book that you have. Uh, shows it shows that you can see in her eyes the the great life that she had. Um, That was a very devastating loss for you. Tell us a little bit about that experience, personal experience. And it was curious because you had written a couple of books on this same topic previously, not knowing that there would be a third book like this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had co-authored with a friend a couple of books on grief and trauma years ago. But um, yeah, at the age of 30, Our daughter, Eva, suddenly died one day. She had been ill with an autoimmune disease for several years that had really um, weakened her, Um, although she wasn't in any particular danger. But um, when she got an infection uh, one day, it it just kind of raced through her, and she collapsed, and they took her by ambulance to the hospital trying to resuscitate her but uh, she was gone. I was uh, out of town at the time. Uh, my wife was uh, with her, and so I, I had to drive 150 miles um, knowing of this crisis that was unfolding. And as I mentioned in the part that you read, you start the day thinking that it's going to be a normal day, and at the end of the day, you are talking with a medical examiner and. Arranging for what is to be done with the body of your of your own child—it's it's a unbelievably devastating loss.
1: And um, just some of your your first thoughts, where you refer to it as a survival story. It was the unthinkable most uh, for fourteen months. You felt uh, tortured. You asked the questions, and many of us have asked, "How can this be?" What do we do now? What will happen to us? And you point out, you experience that many things in life can be overwhelming, and we need people who care, and we need to have faith in God uh, because no one survives on their own, and that facing traumatic loss is about keeping our sanity and taking care of those who depend on us. Uh, we do what we have to do, and part of what you what helped you by was to help others. You wrote a few paragraphs each month. Uh, for you, it was survival. It was a search for, for meaning. And sympathy, you point out, is the height of compassion, not just feeling sorry, but suffering for another. And these are only a few of the thoughts. It's such a beautiful, powerful book that I, just, I list those just among so many other thoughts that you express. Why did you start this book and why?
0: It's not a book. I've written numerous books. This is the one I didn't want to write, and the fact I intended not to write. But um, what I did was um, on that first day, we got home and I wrote uh, an email to our good friends, and then I posted on social media what had happened, um, and that got word around very quickly. And then a week later... I wrote a few paragraphs, really, frankly, just to get the pain off of my chest and to express it to others. I was just very simply saying what was going on. I was very honest. It was uh, painful what I wrote, but I sent it to people. And and then about once a month, I wrote something and posted it or emailed it, and people were telling me that it was very, very helpful to them because uh, I just expressed how I was looking um, to survive through it. But it was also, um, very concrete about, um, in those early days, the fear, the, 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 the shock, uh, sometimes the panic that sets in all kinds of experiences that are extremely uncomfortable. Um, and then a, a couple of years later, um, somebody gave me a small book. Uh, about somebody who had lost their son. I read that and I just started taking those writings from that first year and wrote around it and offered that to people and uh, published it with the University Press. And uh, I'm just glad, you know, I had three conversations today with people who said it's been helpful to them. But sur- surviving, surviving is the idea that um, you're going to have to do some things in, a, in the case of a sudden and traumatic loss just to get through the day. Um, but, you know, six months later, it's easier to get through the day and 12 months after, it's easier than that. And a year after that, um, it, and when you lose your child, the the pain is always there. The profound sense of loss is always there, but um, it, gets, it gets easier to survive your days. But in those early days, um, I think a lot of people don't know what's happening to them. And that's why I wanted to reach out to help to say this is normal if you're going through all kinds of dramatic experiences. And if you feel as though you, you may not survive, but, but you can get through it.
1: Now you point out that sometimes life is just a matter of getting through it. But even at that point, uh, you expect to know so much more in five to uh, ten years, don't you?
0: Yes, yes, um, for sure, and, and I, I think you know, I think it's honoring to God when we survive. I, I used to think, oh, you know, surviving doesn't sound um, very honorable, but you know to to just keep your nose above water, to plod ahead uh, day by day, um, to lament as appropriate, I, I think that lament. Is no less an act of worship than praise is, because um, in our lament, um, in a way, what we're doing is we're expressing the goodness of the person that we lost, and we we lost a beautiful young daughter. Eva was a beautiful young woman, um, very talented, very bright. Her name, Eva Helen. Eva yes, means, uh, right. life. Helen means light, and indeed. Um, one person told me later she was the most radiant person they had ever met. Uh, that was before she t- started to get sick, and the illness uh, robbed her of, of a lot of that. But, but the lament and, and just honestly um, expressing where you're at is, is an act of faith, an act of love in and of itself. And in our culture, I think that we look for a lot of shortcuts around grief, but grief is something you just have to go through. Grief itself doesn't injure anybody; it, it hurts, but you have to go through it. It's not a problem to be solved, but a passageway that we have to go through.
1: You uh, you point out that uh, death is an absolute, dividing line. That in the face of danger, our instincts drive us to action. We just we want to do something. And when it comes to Eva, you wonder how can it be possible that you were not able or your wife Ingrid, not, we're not able to hug and comfort her anymore, your son, and that the death seemed like a power in itself. And you, you asked the question, how can everything change in a day?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and those are the experiences that we had in, in the early days, you know, you, uh, our daughter lived with us. And so, you know, I'd go to her room and there's a, there's a half can of soda, there's a candy wrapper, there's a the smell of perfume in the air, and, and it all seems um, too too bizarre to be true, too difficult to be true, and that's what you need to get through in the early days, you know, right. and then you come to the day when you have to pack up belongings, decide what you're going to do, extremely difficult stuff, but I wanted people in this book to know um, that if, if you're going through that and you say to yourself, I, I had no idea it would be this difficult, that that's normal, you're not alone, um, but you can get through it and you can survive, right. and more than survive. You can thrive in your life later on.
1: Yes, you write that in the early days surviving men getting through not just every day but every hour and minute of the day – and the month of months of grieving can be normal. We we just do what we have to do. And you raise a question, what about the assurance that Eva had a place in the great mystery that is the presence of God? And God allows us to weep and to shout, these are the sure sign of God, God's greatest gift. We're gonna take this break. welcome back to Amplify, where our I wanna say special guest, because it's a, uh, I'll say something about his book in a second, but uh, is Reverend Mel Lawrence, he was the he served as senior pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, for 10 years. He's now its minister at large. His 30-year-old uh, daughter died. It's a traumatic experience for him and the family, and he writes about it with such beauty and grace and love and, and spiritual power, um, and it's it's something... In most of us, at one moment or another in our life, uh, we need—I'm trying to think of the really traumatic ones. There's life—when anyone that's loved dies can be very traumatic. I can remember when I was in first-year high school developing this friendship with someone, and he died. He was electrocuted uh, while on, the, on walking across the top of a roof, uh, and uh, that uh, just raised so many questions to me that I, I didn't understand— and say a little bit uh, about—there's um, so many questions people ask, and, and you point out that the, the pain of loss is not a, does not mean you have a lack of faith, and that crying out to God is no less an act of worship than praising God, is it?
0: Right, because um, if it weren't for the enormous love that we have for somebody, we wouldn't feel the great pain. And that's the that's the irony is that the pain speaks of our love, and when we shed tears with our friends, when we have a difficult time with the funeral, if we express to people our um, distress at losing a person, it's 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 a way of appreciating God's great gift through through that person, and um, we need to really, as a society, do better with giving each other permission to grieve. There's a lot of reasons why we try to shortcut that. It's understandable that we, we don't want to linger there a long time, but it says in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it's, it's good to, to go into the house of mourning and a sad face is good for the heart when, when you've experienced loss because it is, a, it is a way of adjusting, but things don't stay there. Mm-hmm. There is no time frame for one person it's a matter of months for somebody else. It's years. Um, and, and, and even in a family for my wife, her experience of grief looked one way in some ways, the second year was more difficult than the first for me it was the opposite. Yes. And, and our son, it was different too, but that's okay.
1: Uh, because grieving, you point out can pull us in different directions and, uh, you're well, let, let me read something. You, um, you wrote her a note on on Father's Day because um, you had been thinking about how your loved one is gone, but you know, and
0: that was four, that was that was fourteen days after she passed away. Right. Father's Day,
1: what it cannot be, and that all love, all the joy, all the personal knowing could disappear into thin air. And you write, "I was captivated." Well, you write about the the note. I was captivated by one main thought. The person Eva was is exactly what the world needs. She expressed beauty in the face of ugliness, depth instead of superficiality, honesty instead of deception. Ingrid, your wife, and Chris, your son, and I, and relatives and friends felt her loss, but I also sensed a loss in the world, a loss of goodness and truth and beauty. So needed, so rare, I wrote to her that I would try as much as I could to talk to people about how we all need to do better with God's help, that life is too short to play games, that we need to be selfless and completely respectful of others. And I wondered, why is this not obvious to all of us all of the time? Why does it take death to open our eyes to life? Do you have any beginnings of answer to the questions you pose?
0: It's a question that in a way doesn't require an answer. And that's something else I would tell people in grieving. You You may have all kinds of questions that come up. Why did this happen? Um, For instance, that's the most common one. And even if somebody gave you a watertight answer, it's not going to bring your loved one back. It's not really going to solve anything. And so um, I tell people all the time, don't feel as though what you owe your grieving friend is a tidy answer because it isn't really going to solve the the problem. An interesting thing happened at her memorial service. Uh, My wife said to me, well, my wife and I had decided that neither one of us were going to take part in a eulogy. We just wanted to be ministered to it. At the funeral, and uh, but at the end of the service, I I rose to my feet and I took a couple steps to the microphone just because I felt an overwhelming sense of wanting to express what you just read, and that is that we need to do better. We we need to take what we sense in the loss and say, let's let's try to be deep people, not superficial people. Let's, let's aim at goodness. Let's aim at beauty. And, and I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm glad for the, the memory of the type of person that she was that I can, it, it reminds me continually about what's important in life. I was just cleaning my office just yesterday, and I ran across a note that she wrote to me, I think on some Father's Day years ago, and it was just a reminder of uh, her spirit, and it motivated me. Well, it made me very sad, but it also motivated me to uh, talk to you tonight and to, to go on talking to people about what's important.
1: Right. Um, you point out that people are sometimes afraid of saying the wrong thing, but but it's wrong, you say, to avoid saying nothing, That our, because our connection with other people is one of the most important treasures Of our life and so often it's fear of recovering that is the greatest barrier to recovering itself isn't it
0: yes and and I will tell your audience anybody caring to listen to this that don't hold back from talking to your friend who is grieving a loss it's understandable that we're afraid we're gonna say the wrong thing some people think oh if I say something I'm gonna remind them of their loss Well, I assure you, they have not forgotten, whether it's six months down the road or a year down the road. And the worst thing for a person in mourning is to be ignored. So don't be afraid to say something to your friend. Two of the things that people said to us that I found the most helpful, they're so small and so simple. The people who said, I don't know what to say, or I have no words And I I told people, thank you for saying that, because it shows me that you don't fully comprehend the enormity of this sudden loss. And and that's a good thing. And the other thing that some people said is, uh, weeks later, months later, I'm thinking about you today. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing for somebody to tell you that they are taking a little bit of their mental energy. there. They're holding you in their mind, and that's a great gift. So I encourage people, write a note, send an email, send a text, pick up the phone, say, I'm thinking about you today. So simple, but so meaningful. And and just one other thing on, on this point, the thing that nobody thinks to say, because they think it will kind of bring about pain, but it doesn't, is to say, tell me about your loved one, tell me Mm -hmm. about your wife, tell me about your husband who passed away, your, your daughter. Now, that may cause the grieving person to choke up. They may have a hard time saying something, but I guarantee you that it is a great gift to tell somebody that you have an interest in knowing something about the person who was lost, because that is not just about you. It's about why this person was important to you
1: yeah, you want us to understand that we're not alone um, or we're not inflicting pain by acknowledging someone's loss, but being alone in our suffering multiplies distress. Um, and you you write a ch- a chapter called Plotting, which you define as it simply means putting one foot in front of of the other and that each step is a gift from God and is an offering to God, and to survive means to continue to live, and you had to con- continue uh, to live and show how to do that, and we have to ask ourselves if that is what we want to do, because it might cause even more pain.
0: Yes. Plotting, it's its a—it's kind of a awkward word, but it means putting one foot in front of the next. I've talked with many people over the years going through difficult circumstances. It can be loss of a job. It can be, um, distress of a different nature, but to go one day at a time, which I know sounds like a cliche and I don't like cliches unless they're utterly, utterly true. And one day at a time is utterly true, but putting one foot in front of the next is, is, is a good thing. And, in those early days, this was June when Eva passed away, I was thinking, how are we going to face Christmas? And that, that was a scary thought. How are we going to face Christmas? But then I realized it's June now. I don't need to worry about Christmas today. I'll figure that out when we get there. But I don't need to figure out what we're going to do years from now. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. But today, this is what I need to do. And as I say, in the early days, it's the most difficult, and then your your mind gradually adjusts itself to this reality. That is a very, very important thing for people to know: is that your 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 mind will adjust itself. Initially, it seems too difficult to believe, but eventually, you will. Uh, you will get used to what I call this harsh new reality, and you'll be able to, to live with that.
1: Some people uh, would say that um, uh, you're a pastor, and so uh, you face things differently whenever you you tell us that um, you never blame God for this loss, that you had no anger toward God. But that didn't have so much doing with the fact that you were been a pastor does it it's it's part of being human right
0: yeah i i think it's just different for everybody and i've i've walked with enough families through uh tragic losses in their life to know that if somebody does feel angry or angry at god that is not a sin there's nothing wrong with that it's it's just a sense of of angst as Jesus himself at the tomb of Lazarus. It says he, he wept, and, and the word means um, a kind of angst about things. For me personally, um, I, I felt more sadness and uh, fear. I, I just didn't feel anger toward God. Part of it may be, too, that I lost my father when I was four years old, He was just 27 years old at the time that he died. I had seen other losses in my life. My son was in a near-fatal auto accident um, several years ago. And so I have accepted for a long time that loss is going to come my way. But everybody's reaction is going to be different. There's nothing wrong or right about it, but you need to try to adjust properly to navigate those those early waters so that you can get through to smoother sailing later on.
1: And uh, I was going to talk about it a little later, but your losses didn't end with your your daughter. Those losses continued afterwards, didn't they?
0: Well, yes. My, my mother was in failing health, and she passed away 14 months after Eva. They were very much like each other, just really bright spots in the world, people that, uh, people loved being around, and my my mother, you know, one of the most difficult things I ever did was to call her to let her know that her only granddaughter had passed away, but then uh, before that happened, I had an accident. I fell off a ladder onto a concrete floor and broke my, my hip and my arm and was in uh, a lot of distress for about three months. I was in a wheelchair, actually, for three months. This was 11 months after Eva passed away. And so just as I was coming near the one-year mark, uh, I I had that set back and just had one more reminder that life does include sudden and painful incidents. And uh, I learned not to ever go up on a ladder again. That's one thing I learned from it.
1: Right, because you could have actually been killed in that fall right yeah
0: it was on a it was on a concrete floor I was up about nine feet in the air and more than one doctor told me if if I had come down a little differently I could have been paralyzed if I had hit my head on the concrete um, it would have been lights out so I laid there um, screaming for my wife and son to come because I was kind of paralyzed and I felt so bad that they needed to Watch one more ambulance uh, one more crisis but again it's just it's just reality these are these are things that happen in life and i was I was glad to be able to recover from it
1: right and you you uh, teach us that uh, when we are in the middle of the worst, we have to decide how much we can handle and certainly you were in that position so what, then, are some of the real reasons for hope in such circumstances?
0: Well, hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope, you know, Scripture says that three, there are three things that are our anchors, faith, hope, and love. Faith is belief that has developed over time. Faith that God is good, otherwise we wouldn't have good things in our life. And and hope draws us into the future, but based upon the faith that has developed in the past. And, And hope says, because of good things and blessings in the past, I believe that there are good things in the future, which is not to be naively optimistic. I don't believe in simple optimism. I do believe in hope,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and because of the blessings of the past, I've hope for the future. And then love is the third thing. And in this little book, a chronicle of grief, um, I write in here a lot about the love that we have for Eva, and the fact that love can't, love can't be destroyed in an ambulance. Love can't disappear into thin air because somebody has moved from this life to the life to come. And I, I had the experience of believing that that love is real and that love goes on. And I don't talk about our love for Eva in the past, but as a present-day reality. Right.
1: Yeah, you point out that one of the most important lessons learned is that we have to live in the present reality, as you just said, that we then we can make choices about what we will do, and within your context as as a pastor for 10 years are you still considered to be a pastor in the position you are now i should have asked yep. you this earlier
0: yes, I, yes yes i am i do normal pastoral duties
1: so i should be referring to you really as pastor mel lawrence <laughs> yeah okay no <laughs> I, no i in yes. my system it would be it would be different no and i apologize for sure. that but you know then that the mission you in fact you tell us that the mission of the community of faith is to receive grace and then to pass it on.
0: Yes, we we made it through because, well, one of the major, major things is because of other people. I, I just cannot overemphasize how important it was that we knew that we had a handful of close friends who really authentically felt with us, the pain. And and the day of the funeral, I, I thought, I remember getting dressed thinking, how are we gonna get through this? My son said to me, how are we gonna get through this? And I said, I, I don't know, but we will be together. But our friends and acquaintances came to the funeral, and I felt like we were being carried along with, through their love. It's so the most amazing thing And I I feel bad for people that that they don't have as many people around them to support them, which is another reason why I'd urge your listeners, anybody who is grieving, to find the people who you do trust, who do care about you, and let them know what your journey is. Uh, Be there for other people. When something traumatic happens, drop everything if you can. Let them know that you're thinking about them every hour of the day. Don't just say to them, if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. Somebody came over to our house a couple days later, and they cut the grass. They didn't ask, is there anything I can do for you? They just just did it, because they knew that we were kind of frozen in place. So the grace of God through other people is huge, but we need to be willing to do that even if it's uncomfortable being around people that are grieving, it's not not necessarily easy to ask somebody who is mourning how are you doing, because they may be honest with us and and they're sad and it makes us sad. But it's it's the most important gift we can give somebody.
1: Um, no no question. Uh, and um, grief, as we've as we've said uh, throughout this discussion, is is different for every every person. Um, We just have about uh, half a minute before we take our break, and I'll come back to um, these two points a little bit later in the next segment of our program. But you point out out that uh, thinking about the future can be terrifying in circumstances like this, and also that uh, peace is possible. Peace is possible. Because real peace can coexist with pain, and again, uh, reading your book, they're gonna they're gonna feel what you feel, what they're feeling. They're gonna know that you've been through it, and so um, we're gonna take this break, and then we'll be back.